let's wait. Those of you who are leaving, we will, we'll wait until you can go on to your next meeting. We have another 45 minutes here, and we would like to have questions and answers. We will. I'll repeat the question when it quiets down, okay? If you can wait to the end of the meeting to get the pamphlets, we can go on with the questions. Could you wait till the end of the meeting to pick up your pamphlet so that we can go on with the questions? with the questions. Please. The question is that a very sick alcoholic was hospitalized for surgery. He had uh, various complications. He's on the operating table for hours. He was in the intensive care room for eight days. When he left the hospital, the doctor didn't tell him a thing about treating his illness, just gave him some water pills. The question is how can members of Alcoholics Anonymous deal with a situation of this kind? Would anybody like to respond to this question? Does anybody have any suggestions as to how members of AA might approach a doctor in a situation of this kind? Yes. Stand up and talk loud. Jim and talk loud. They can't hear in the back, please. Talk loud, Jim. They can't hear you. Well, come up here to the mic then. Jim McCullough, alcoholic from Pennsylvania. I had a heart attack in 1960. Prior to the heart attack, the doctor told me, he said, there's not much I can do for you right now. You've gone too far. The best thing you can do is go home and drink five to six shots of good brandy a day. Now, I had been sober then 16 years. And I had the heart attack. After hospitalization, I was prescribed uh, Thorazine to hold me down. 
And I couldn't uh, make two and two come together no way. That's when I got home. And I told the doctor, I says, look, I cannot continue to take these things. He said, you need to. I says, no, I don't. I says, I can make it my own way. If I take these things, I'll die anyway. And here I am. I believe that you know as an alcoholic that anything that you take and you put in your mouth, in your arm, or sniff, that'll change your mind, or kill you. And don't be afraid to tell your doctor. I have told many of them. What gives you the right to kill alcoholics with your pills? And don't forget, that'll straighten them out. That'll ask you a question. Thank you. Do we have another question for any member of the panel? Or for anybody else as far as that goes? Yes. Have you read the guidelines for members employed in the alcoholism field? This shares the experience of many AA members who have worn two hats for many years, and I think you'll find some good answers in there. Uh, I have somebody over here, Jim. Matt? Sure. Speak, speak up so they can hear you. I'm Matt Rose, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. I'm also executive director of the National Association of Alcoholism Counselors. Now, this is a, the beginning of a new profession. Last, two years ago, the National Institute awarded a contract for standards on alcoholism counselors. And uh, they proceeded to write a report, and it's a good program that's, dated, that's based on experience primarily, and education when we can get it. Now, uh, there are about 25 state associations in the country, and there are over 5,000 people, counselors, working in the field of alcoholism. Now, I think it should be understood that our friends are not in the field of alcoholism. They're concerned about alcoholics, but... There is only recently, since the impetus of the Hughes activity, that the idea of working on the disease of alcoholism has been given serious consideration. And the profession of an alcoholism counselor has only begun to develop. And I think that it's the responsibility of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous to be considerate and to cooperate as much as they can with this new crowd, and I'm sure that, uh, that there are a bunch of us here today that are working with alcoholics. Our, the primary function of the counselor is to bring all of the service together into a flow so that it makes possible for people with a problem to recover. And it's the only profession that there is that has this as a primary objective. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Yes, Dan. Well, the NIAAA was going to have a program of certification and licensing of counselors, and they gave that up. And as a result, uh, they were attempting to do it through 
self-policing just as the, the doctors and the lawyers and the nurses are, are doing it. We're developing a program of certification standards, certification by peers with participation with the professions on a state-by-state -state basis. We're trying to develop national standards that we can police uh, from a national organization. But these, the, the profession is too new to go into the business of uh, positive policing through licensing because we really don't know, well, we don't have access to the skills that we need. An efficient counselor needs to have a little piece of, of nursing, of medicine, of social services, of vocational rehabilitation, so that he's capable of advising and assisting a client and a family. We're not ready for that yet. What about the alcoholic who comes in and gets sober? He's sober three months, and all of a sudden well, this, you know, this really has to happen because I, I would guess that three-quarters of the people that are employed in, in the field of alcoholism are recovered alcoholics, are recovering alcoholics, as we call them. And this is because no one else has the determination, the dedication, and the idea that hope is available for an alcoholic. That's why they're in the field. I think the one thing that happens for a three-monther is he gets drunk again. But these are the things that we have to go through because these are our resources. And another problem is that there are no training re resources available, educational resources available. I had a list from the people that collected the information. There are no more than 20 educational institutions that offer degrees of any kind on alcoholism counseling. There are no, no more than six that offer an undergraduate degree. There are two that offer associate degrees in alcoholism counseling. We have a long way to go, and everybody that's working in the field needs all the help they can get. Thanks. I had a question over here next. Okay. My name is Burton. I'm an alcoholic from British Columbia. Uh, last month, up in the ABC, we had a meeting of counselors in British Columbia. And we were concerned about the same thing. And we are attempting to form some type of guild amongst the older uh, counselors, the older members of, uh, of the group, to see if we can't stop some of this. Because we believe that the people who come into this field, if they can't do it for nothing, should never do it for pay. Thank you, Bert. Sam. If you have questions, do you want to line up in the aisle so you can come to the mic so everybody can hear you? No? All right. Thank you, Corlois. My name's Sam Smith. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm from Miami, Florida. Right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. And the tradition said... We're discussing uh, cooperation, but not affiliation. And I've heard some fine presentations about how AA cooperates, and I've enjoyed it. And I see it working uh, in my area and other areas. But I haven't heard anything about not affiliation. Uh, and in the, I think in the 12 and 12, but somewhere, it says that AA shall not affiliate either directly or by implication with any outside agency. And I'm concerned with how we can handle 
the problem of the outside agency by implication affiliating us with them in the public's eye against our particular wishes. Uh, there are many occasions in the non-alcoholic world today there is, a, there is a, a, a widespread belief, I don't say that everybody believes it or that it's a general belief, but there is considerable opinion that AA is connected with hospitals, with rehabilitation agencies, that we are, uh, other than cooperation, that we're doing other things. This is not our doing, and I'd like to hear from the panel as to how um, we can best uh, get the idea across that we are not affiliated with these outside agencies because the, it's, it's the, by implication that, I, that, that is to me a concern, not directly because of course uh, we've adhered well in my opinion to the tradition of, of non-affiliation, but the implication is there and it's going to grow and we have to be on the alert so that the public doesn't think we're a public agency ten years from now. Thank you. I'd like to hear from maybe the panel or some anybody who would say how you handle this or how we can get this idea across uh, as best possible. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Um, we would like to hear uh, comments on this. I would like to make one. I remember several years ago there was an article in the New York Times announcing that uh, a man in the city had given $10 million for alcoholism research. I got four telephone calls that morning from personal friends, not AA members, outsiders, congratulating my organization on receiving this money. People on the outside, when they hear anything about alcoholism, they think AA. We are better known, maybe, than many of the other organizations. I have friends who still think that I work for the National Council on Alcoholism. They don't realize that there's a difference between these two. And I think Sam has a very good point here, how to create, in the public mind at least, the sharp distinction that there is between AA cooperation with every program in the field of alcoholism and our own separate identity as a program for alcoholics who wish to recover. And I wonder if any of the other panelists have any suggestions on this other than maybe talking with the people at a facility or agency who are giving the impression that are uh, creating the implication that AA is a part of this. Quite often this is done with goodwill and good intentions and accidentally. I don't think that it's always intentional that this impression is created. And I think having a friendly conversation with these people instead of talking about them with each other might accomplish more. Anybody else have anything on that? Joe. I think that when I became sober that I also uh, at that time had some sort of obligation to assume a normal place in society and to assume the normal obligations of a member of my community. Uh, I don't know of many alcoholism programs uh, that do not one way or another involve members of Alcoholics Anonymous in, at least in Alaska, in every community that I'm aware of, there are members of Alcoholics Anonymous that sit 
on the board of directors. Uh, and also um, that sit uh, on the governor's advisory board in Alaska. Well, we have an obligation, I think I have an obligation, uh, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, to do whatever I can, in the way I can, to relieve the plight of those alcoholics that are still out there. And because I have this concern, and I am in this position, it gives me the opportunity to give some guidance and to try to see to it within my abilities that that there is an understanding of the difference between Alcoholics Anonymous and perhaps the National Council on Alcoholism. Uh, it gives me uh, an opportunity when there is some kind of a news break uh, to get out in offsetting news release that will correct the misinformation. Uh, I honestly don't think that, um, that we have the right or the authority uh, to tell doctors how to do their job or to set, as members of Alcoholics Anonymous, guidelines for counselors who work for someone else. Uh, I think that these things have to be done by the employer, just any employer sets guidelines, and I think they will be done as the experience develops. But we have this wonderful, marvelous opportunity as individual citizens of our community who happen also to be members of AA uh, to demonstrate and to explain what we do and what we don't do. And I'm not all that concerned, though, when there is one of these um, uh, erroneous uh, articles. You know, they're there, as Carl Louise said, because we are so widely known as the agency who knows how to do something for alcoholics. So if there's a successful program, it's almost automatically attributed to Alcoholics Anonymous. If it's enormously flattering, and we should be concerned, but uh, I think not, not critical, but let's try to treat other people as we try to, teach, try to treat each other with love, with understanding. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yes. The question is that he would like the panel, or Matt, who spoke about this counselor's organization, to explain where the place of the AA member who is employed in the alcoholism field, where his place is in the group, as a trusted servant, in the institutional committee, and so forth. Is that the sense of your question? That's about it. Now, uh, would one of the panel like to respond? Tom, would you like to respond to that? Guidelines just fell out. There's an excellent pamphlet. That's a good question because a lot of people... First of all, I don't like the phrase two hatter. Uh, 
conference didn't like it, Carl Louise tells me, I think they have two hats, you got to have two heads. And I don't believe that people in the alcoholism field, whether they're members of AA or two hatters. I believe when you're working in the field of alcoholism, when you're at work, you're practicing your profession, and you're better at your profession because of your living experience as a drinking alcoholic and a sober alcoholic and Alcoholics Anonymous, plus whatever expertise you have. Uh, when you're at your AA meeting, I don't think that we ask people when they come into an AA meeting what their profession is, what their uh, job is, and I don't think we should care. I think the, the two-hatters, if we want to use this phrase, the two-hatters place at an AA meeting is the same place that every other member of Alcoholics Anonymous has in their group or their intergroup or anywhere else. Yes. try to bring them to what we call open discussion meetings. They're not at closed meetings. Speaker meetings and open discussion meetings, but not the closed meetings. For that one reason you pointed out, anonymity. Nobody signs no basis. 
We leave it right up to the, the jurisdiction of the court to vote off their own throat. It seems that the, the person who is sentenced to our charge gets that. I've seen this practice various ways. I was at a closed meeting here the other night in uh, in Denver, and one of the members had to sign a receipt that this gentleman had attended. But I think that practice varies in various parts of the country. But we still sign occasionally for the court orders. Now we want to hear what Tom said about this, the two-hatter, quote-unquote. The guideline spells out that he participates in general service work, the whole thing, just like any other A member. I think it's spelled out very clearly in the guidelines. I've been asked to repeat the questions as they ask because people are not able to hear in the back. Yes. I'm Joe Gardner. I'm an alcoholic. I'm from Kingston. I didn't like to remark, and they say, if you got something in your gut, get it out. I didn't like to remark what the fellow from B.C. said, and I'd like to state why I didn't like to remark. In 1941, Jack Alexander wrote the report on Alcoholics Anonymous. We had 2,000 people, and overnight we had 8,000. We didn't kick then. I don't know what the hell we're kicking now for. But what I want to get at is I believe... In Windsor, Ontario, a, a guy named Pat B. was asked by the Chrysler Corporation, who had 20-some years in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, would he take the job to help the drunks in the plant? And Chrysler was firing them left, right, and center. I'd like to say at this time, since Pat took the job and he's retired and somebody else is taking his place, the absenteeism has dropped down. Chrysler's are making more money. I can go right into Oshawa where DVT is. He's taking the job. And they got AA right in the plants. Now, if this is wrong, then we're all wrong, you know. And then when people like Tommy and that go and speak to the professional people, I think this is right. We need more PIC work. We need more people in institutional work. I'm an institutional GSR at the Millhaven Penitentiary. I got a guy fresh out of the university. He's got a P, uh, BA. He's been with us for one year, and he's with us. He's quitting in September. Why is he quitting? Because he's found out what love, what understanding is in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Knowledge with 25 inmates. With, you know, if you've got 25 years in that, in that pen, you don't take your shoes off because you're on your way out. But he's found love and he's found understanding. He's quitting. He's going back because he wants to get us his master's in psychology. He don't know. But it's up to us as members of Alcoholics Anonymous. After you get your ears dried out, you know, after you're around a while, to carry the message of love and understanding. I don't think, however, the new member, the new gal, for a while, should be going out with a flag in the navel, running in and out of institutions, running in and out of telling people what the hell to do when they don't know themselves. Thank you for having me here.